everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Everybody, we're here, and it's working. Mark, it is working, right, on your end, too? Yes, it's, it's good yeah. today, yeah. Yeah, we, I apologize, everybody, but last week, we don't, Mark, neither Mark and I could figure it out. We tried for what, Mark, 20 minutes probably after the hour, yeah. where we finally just decided I couldn't get on. I mean, it, it works, and Mark has had problems a few times, but I've had problems maybe one out of every 15, 20 times that I go to get on, it's a problem. So I don't know why. I mean, and it's go to webinar. Interestingly, we've tried Zoom. We've tried Kajabi's internal system. We've tried webinar jam. Um, what else, Mark? Well, we use YouTube live um, at times, right? Are, are, aren't we on YouTube even right now, Mark? Yes, we are simulcasting on YouTube and Facebook. Right. So we're on we're on Facebook and simulcasting on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and and we really want to stay on something that's not just directly related to those groups because frankly we don't have any control when we're there. But when we have you know Zoom gives us control, go to webinar does and um, webinar jam potentially does so anyway it, it, i wish there were some a little bit better option but it doesn't appear there is quite yet um so how's everybody doing today put in a one in the chat if you're doing well put in a nine if things are awful put in a three or four and please ask us some questions today um and let me just see i'm gonna uh, check out something here it's possible, Mark, that uh, Russ Biagni might come on as a co-host today, and so be watching for him, and then uh, make okay. sure he the mic when he does. And Robert, uh, Robert Christador, Bob might come on also. Cool. So let's, um, Mark, why don't you show the EPN website, if you would. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Environmental Professionals Network, which is a economics company, a seed enterprise, and related to EAT. And let's see, Alicia had a couple comments here. How important. I'm sorry, get a little closer. I can't read. The, the questions sometimes are very small. I'm just going to move a little bit. I had my, I was being really relaxed and had my feet up in the air on my desk and everything there. Um, how important is the soil in climate change? Um, and I think you, you probably meant how important is the soil. Great question. Um, Obviously, going to be my opinion of that uh, on that one, and I think there's uh, there's going to be some scientific evidence of what my opinion is, but it's probably a, an arguable subject. I would say that the soil is very important in any kind of climate issues. So. If, if you heard as we started here, Mark and I, well, I was actually talking with somebody else, but we, we've had an unbelievably wet and cool early summer. I mean, ridiculously cool. High today will be like 69, not even reach 70, and it should be in the 90s right now. We had 6.2 inches of rain in June. And we would, our normal would be 
something like 1.8, and it was the fourth wettest month in history. So again, who knows if that's evidence of climate change or if it's just an aberration of just this particular year or what, but soils, which over history have formed a lot larger percentage of the Earth's surface where humans live, okay? So where humans live, not, not necessarily the entire Earth, um, are considerably less in amount as it relates to their presence than other hard surfaces. So in cities, what is the primary surface? Asphalt, concrete, and whatever roofing material are. That's the primary surface. Where do 90% of humans live? In cities of one kind or another. And I don't mean just large cities. I don't mean necessarily New York-sized cities. But, or even uh, a city like I live near Loveland, Colorado, which is 150,000 people, not millions. Or Mark's city of 17 million, Mark, is that still, or is how's the population changed in the last 10 years? Yeah, I think it's, it's close to 20, 20 million. Right. And am I right? What's most of the ground, what's most of the surface in your, in your city? It's either concrete, uh, fault, or roofs, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So soil is going to absorb sunlight. It's going to grow plants in many cases, which are going to cause photosynthesis to occur. Um, it's going to have uh, moisture in it that will even be present on its surface after a rain event or a snow event. Um, that is different than, than that of concrete, asphalt, or rooftops. So it absolutely has an effect, and the lack of soil in highly populated areas, I think, causes a, a greater effect. So um, I think that's a, a, a great question and something to think about. Um, Great question, Alicia. And it looks like you put in another comment here. Um, please ask us more. Um, I'm going to talk about a topic we've talked a little bit about, but one that's sort of high on my radar screen right now today, because I was I was away from my home and in another location over the Fourth of July holidays. And I came back last night. And it's a place where it's very likely that Deb and I are gonna be moving to, or at least gonna be spending a good portion of our year. We have got our ranch here in, in Colorado uh, under contract to be purchased. And right now it's scheduled that we will close on that transaction in November. And we're going to be uh, selling it to a group that's going to keep some of the economic aspects of it in place, ponds that we have because they do landscaping. So they're going to use um, the areas around our ponds to potentially be growing uh, all kinds of different plants that are used for, for home landscaping and business landscaping purposes. Our quarry will still be operated in a, uh, in a what we call an eco-friendly way, um, but they're going to have their managers live on site here. So they need our house that we're in to be able to have that for their managers. And frankly, they want to make a higher percentage of the profit from the quarry operation than what um, than what I'm making and they're able to negotiate that with the quarry operator and so anyway bottom line is we're going to after 18 years 
uh, be moving on. And we're going to probably, as we move on, live part of our year in South Dakota at a location I'll describe to you in a minute, and part of our year in, in the Boise, Idaho area, which I have talked about in the several previous webinars, and also in, uh, in somewhere in the South, and not quite sure where yet. We were hoping it could be Texas, um, but we're not as excited about Texas as we thought we'd be. And they may decide that it could be Nevada, Southern Nevada, it could be Arizona, and it could be any number of places in Arizona, but probably not Texas. Interestingly, we're, we're kind of desert-oriented people, a little drier climate, which is one thing that we just didn't get as uh, excited about in Texas. So anyway, we're going to be moving on. and in two of those locations, at least, the South Dakota location and the Idaho location, we're going to get to have almost a new um, sketch pad, and I'm using that as an analogy, um, to, to, to develop the property in the way that we believe it should be in an economic fashion. So I've described a little bit about what that would mean in, in the Boise area previously and showed you some pictures of that site and, and some images. And today I'm going to talk a little more about the South Dakota site, which uh, which will be something that, that is where we're almost going, the first place we're going to go after we leave here, which will probably be in, in not as late as the end of November, probably in, in September sometime is when we'll make a kind of a break from our full-time living being here. And uh, let's see, before I get to that, let me, uh, let me look at a couple other questions here that the audience had. Any thoughts about the importance of earthworms for soil health? Um, I think that was earthworms. Yes. Um, oh, I, again, soil health is indicated by the diversity of organisms of all types and sizes that live in it. And I think unhealthy soil, interestingly, is more characterized by um, a lack of larger soil organisms. An earthworm would be a relatively large soil organism, where smaller soil organisms would be nematodes, um, small arthropods being like um, uh, uh, ants, and, and even smaller than that, um, fungi, uh, and obviously getting smaller and smaller, bacteria, um, uh, all kinds of microbes that would be positive. If a soil is healthy, it'll have all those, but it'll also have higher level predators, organisms that eat those. And an earthworm is not a predator in the way that we think about it by eating intentionally um, large other animals, but instead it eats the soil, processes the, the soil through its, its intestinal system, and, um, and the small bacteria, fungi, plant matter, um, other microbes that are in it are what it gets its nutrition from. And then it poops out the back end um, what it, it, it doesn't, fully digest efficiently, which none of our digestion is highly efficient. Um, and so we call that earthworm casting. Uh, and castings alone have great value for soil. But earthworms are a very good indication of a healthy soil. So I think if you, if you, have, if you have earthworms, for example, 
crawling on the soil surface after a rainfall, instead of staying at, down in the soil, it's either one of two reasons. In our location, we see earthworms crawling up after a rainstorm on our roadways because those are not good soils. That is crushed rock that we have artificially put on the surface. And we will see the earthworms come up because they're getting out of the soil that's underneath that rock and coming up to hopefully find a better place for themselves. So it turns out it doesn't end up being that. And usually they have to crawl over land and get into the soil that's, that's alongside the roads. Or unfortunately for them, many of them, they get crushed by vehicles and such going over that, that roadway. Um, but in a really good soil environment, you don't see the earthworms coming up and staying on top of the soil for any long period of time. Instead, they come up and they go right back down because it's in the soil that they're, they've evolved in which, you know, in such a way that they're intended to be living. So really good soil, you're not gonna find earthworms right above the surface crawling around. Instead, they'll be right below the surface uh, in the soil that you'd be able to pick up. And then another question. Any thoughts about floating plants for wastewater treatment? Oh, it's, uh, I've talked about this a number of times. The, the best ecological water treatment systems in the world, and best meaning that take the most contaminants out of the water and that conserve the most water, so they're the most efficient and the best at removing materials, harmful materials from the water itself, are those that involve multiple levels. So there'd be what we call primary treatment, secondary treatment, and tertiary treatment. Primary is usually what takes the solids out. Secondary takes out microscopic organisms or microscopic particles, and tertiary takes out really everything. Secondary also takes out, um, takes out the dissolved chemicals that are in the water itself that's been treated by the primary methods. Tertiary treatment is almost always biological. And in, in the best systems in the world, it's taking water that goes through primary treatment and secondary treatment, putting it into wetland areas that are um, that have floating plants, because those floating plants are going to be amazing at taking uh, contaminants out. Unfortunately, the best of floating plants, like duckweed, and you know I'm passionate about duckweed, that I've talked about any number of times, duckweed won't grow in contaminated you just won't find it. So if water is highly contaminated, like a wastewater would be, find duckweed growing there. So you're gonna to have to clean a water source through some primary treatment method, secondary treatment method, before it would go into a water body where the tertiary treatment might be, uh, might be something like duckweed. Now, water lilies, um, larger aquatic plants, uh, even cattails, will grow in pretty contaminated water. And they're gonna be great at being a water treatment facilitator. Do they use them in, in commercial systems? Not as much as I wish they would. Um, most city, municipal you know related water treatment systems do not use um, ecological treatment methods in europe they are doing it more frequently than they do it here in the US. great question one of which i know a little bit more about um, so 
Mark, did you put up? You did. I'm going to move my screen. Environmental Professionals Network. So we formed Environmental Professionals Network a couple of years ago. The site's been around forever. Mark, is this the, yeah, this is our actual blog site. So just scroll down. We mainly have used this site and, and, and this entity as a place to publish about the kinds of things that we do. So a lot of what you would get on the economics.org site, we'll also see here. And uh, you'll, you'll see, again, John Nellen and myself are the two principals. Um, but and if you go to the blog, Mark, which you could um, there, you'll see that it's, it's similar kinds of articles and, and some of the same. We, we sort of cross-publish. So this article on, on climate change, Mark, wh where did we cross-publish? How many of our sites did we publish this one in? Um, this one is on IOE, I think, uh, only one of one other uh, site, probably. So that's IOE. No, that's environmental professionals. Anyway, we we cross populate our our various sites with um, with some with different articles that we publish. Mark, by the way, before I forget, did you see that Kajabi said that we need to do something to make sure that our EAT website will, um, will, will be able to utilize Google Analytics properly? Did you see that? that oh, yeah. Uh, well, Google made some changes uh, to their analytic. Um, they're calling it G4 property, you know. So yeah, I, I will need to, I got notification from Google also. So I I need to check what I, uh, what um, actions we need to take. So yeah, I'll take care of that. Okay. Um, anyway, we cross populate these, these various sites with, this, with different, with the same articles many times, but, um, We're going to revive EPN. And so Mark, now go to um, the, the Kajabi EPN site. So this site is mainly a blog type site, but we also have a Kajabi site that is called, I can't even remember what we called it, Mark. Oh, give me a second, I'll pull it up um, in a second. Well, it's, it's also, it's the environmental community, I think, yeah. I don't think it's environmental, but anyway, look, you'll find it. It's one of our, yeah. one of our Kajabi sites. There. Right. Yeah, it's network community. Hold on just a second. Environmental professionals network uh, community, I think. Let's see. I think it's an EPN community, maybe. Right. I don't think we spelled that all the way out, so we're just EPN. Okay, so here it is. Yeah, epmcommunity.com. So you can go to the site. Um, I would actually recommend if you if you are at all interested, you should, um, because we're going to be reviving this, we sort of put it on hold about a year ago. It's actually a little more than a year in, in April and May of, of last year. Um, and the intent of this, this site is to put together teams of people who have ecological and environmental skills, of which I think most of you do. And and, and you all have interests, or you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't even be at this webinar. And, and put together teams of people who can solve problems. So this right here on the page shows a great example. Got an environmental problem. 
uh, we do the big boy consultants. And the big boys are companies that are billion dollar companies. I'm not negative about them, but Tetra Tech is an example. Um, ATC, the company I founded, is now an example. Um, AECON is an example. There, there's a number of Bechtel, being other, um, that they're just very large. And do they sometimes make your problem seem very mysterious if you had an environmental problem? Sometimes they do. Um, by the way, this is an interesting one of mystery. And I've talked about this. This happens to be a site near where I used to live in Idaho. And if you look at these, what are called plumes of, of, I'll just call it right now, gas coming up from this factory. Here's one right here. There's another one in the background here. Um, Mark's pointing at them. All those are plumes. Um, you'd think those were the worst thing that plant is emitting. The worst thing it's emitting, you don't see. The worst of it's are out of the middle, in between the one of the smoke going up on the left-hand side, and then these are clouds over here on the right. It's actually not something that's even visible to the human eye. And that's intentionally mysterious. Um, they, they make that bad waste as colorless as possible so that the public doesn't think that that plant is causing much of a problem. What's coming out that you see there is mostly steam. So that's not really the bad stuff. So anyway, what's happening out there in the consulting world, in the environmental world, is that many environmental consultants charge too much money. Um, they use what's called time of materials for everything, which is they tell you, you know what, we don't know exactly how much it's gonna cost, but um, our time is X hundred dollars per hour, and our materials are whatever they are, and we'll charge you for them. We'll mark up the materials 15% more than what they really are, and that's what you're gonna pay. Um, and then the last little question there is, do they treat you like a king or queen? No, they very rarely do. So what we hope to be able to do is we now revive and, and, and add professionals to EPN is to do it a little differently. EPN is going to be a unique group of outstanding environmental professionals. And outstanding means people that aren't necessarily well known, but they have a passion and they do something really well. They either know how to identify problems in water. They know how to identify problems in soils. They know how to um, clean up problems in water and clean up problems in soil. They know how to grow food. They know how to do, you name it, that is economic, as we say. That, that word that is, is mysterious to some, but, but it's the word that we sort of live by. Make a little money making the planet better. So we want to have teams of people that can handle problems um, and provide to clients worldwide with, as what we say in caps here, the best solutions for the best cost with the best teams. So um, over here on the right is if, if you happen to be somebody working for an environmental company and, or some entity in the environmental or ecological area uh, and letting them tell you what to do and what you're worth, maybe you should come out and work for yourself at minimal risk on your own time frame, and you can do it through these teams that we'll create at EPN. So scroll down a little bit further on the page here, Mark. So there, here it says, no, stand that piece, Mark. There, go, there we go. Are you one of those nerdy scientists who just needs to get all the details? Which is very true. Uh, if, if I'm pointing the finger at you here, as they say, there are three, uh, three being pointed back at me. Have you ever seen that when you point at someone and you say, you know, you're doing such. What that really means is that maybe you're only doing it a third as bad as I am because I got three fingers pointing back at me. So whenever you point the finger at somebody, realize that you got three of them pointing back at you. Um, I'm that super nerdy guy who needs to get all the information to make a decision. And that's not bad. 
Um, so if you really are somebody that needs to get all the right information to make decisions, then maybe we're the right ones to get them from. Um, so if you just click on the button below, as it says here, we can get you more details. So anyway, keep, keep scrolling. All right, so then, okay, you're not really a science nerd, but this is interesting. We have, some, we have a simple, much more uh, simplistic brochure that you can get also. So that's all that says. And the whole intent of this page is to get people to just get curious enough to get more information. So this is just saying you can schedule a call and talk with me about it. And then here's the kinds of memberships that we have. We have a free membership that you sign up and that, that gets you to where you can start to get information about projects. You can start to become a member of teams. You can start to maybe find out how you can get your project done if you've got an environmental or ecological situation and you want help with it. So free membership. Then we have what we call associate membership, um, which is to where you can become a member and, and, and actually start being able to be parts of these teams. So you can actually be a part of a team with a free membership but in the associate membership, we'll actually um, we'll, we'll work very hard to find business for you and to put and find teams for you to get on so that you're going to be um, benefiting from it. By the way, that's not available right now because we put this on hold, like I said, for a while. We're going to make that we're just about to revive it again. And then a student membership, we want that to be really cheap. Um, we want students to get involved while they're still in school um, because it doesn't do you any good if you're a student and want to learn ecology, learn about the environment, learn about how to, to, to work in that area, and, we, and you're spending your, your off-school hours working at, at fast food restaurant or um, retail store or uh, something that isn't directly involved in the environmental ecological field. Um, so, frankly, we hope we'll be giving out a number of scholarships and a lot of students will join for free. So keep on going, Mark. And then we've got memberships for um, advisors, uh, people that um, we really want to be uh, our co-founders, and those are going to be uh, the first hundred that we get involved uh, into, again, right now, again, we're just going to revive it, getting uh, getting going. I don't even know what we remember what we had as the price for that marks scale scrolled down just a little bit, a little further, thousand um, dollars. The first hundred we're probably not even going to charge for. We're going to make we get it. We want to specifically choose those uh, and then scroll back up so we can see the other two the last two forms of membership one is the service um, this would be people who aren't consultants themselves they don't have some kind of service to provide but instead they provide tools or services for those so there's lots of like laboratories or companies that sell um, protective gear or companies that sell sampling equipment or any of those kinds of things, they would be service members. Um, and then lastly, you've got those that are support members and they're just people that are just wanting to that they say, hey, you guys are doing great things, we want to support you. And as we've said before, we're a 5013C um, through IOE, so those would be donations that would be essentially uh, tax deductions for you because you're donating to a to a nonprofit organization. So that the whole purpose of this website is just to show um, what what what's going on with this, and, and then you can actually once you've joined, you can get into it and 
I don't even know if Mark remembers how to get into the back pages of it. We're not gonna look at those today. We'll spend more time on those another day, but, but, uh, but we're reviving this and I wanted everybody to know about that. Um, I don't see any questions that anybody's got about that right now. So now let's talk about where I spent the last few days. Mark, go to a site called Vivos. So it's vivos.org, I believe. No, V-I-V-O-S. V-I-V-I-V-O-S. V, V-I-V. Dot, I think, or now you know what? Go back. Uh, I wanted to see. Go back up. Just take the org off and just put Vivo again. Vivos again. But not the whole thing. Don't you? Don't you guys use? I hope you guys do what I do. You okay? Go back even before you put the s in. It'll start to show you. So now go Vivos dot. Not all the way to org. Take the org, just dot, because I think it'll show, because there it is, Vivos Xpoint. Click on Vivos Xpoint right there. So, Terra Vivos, click there. So, this t-shirt, look what, look what it looks like. It looks just like that, just like wow. that. <laughs> yeah. Because I was at this location over the weekend, it's only about a four and a half hour drive away, and it looks like from this website, and, and maybe if you've read about it, Oh, this is just a place where people who are scared that the world's about to end go to live. That is very far from the truth. It's actually just a very interesting alternative living location. And this weekend, there were about 200 people that were at a gathering. Stop down there when you get to the next slide as you scroll down, Mark, to right there. Start right there. There, that's good. Um, you know what? This is going to be easier if I take the screen. So, no, no. You, I'd rather not. I'd rather have you keep on it. So, um, this is located in South Dakota, and this is because it's going to scroll down in a minute. You'll see where that is. It used to be place from 1941 through 1972 that they made ammunition. And that's not shown on here of where they made the ammunition. But once it was made, they stored it in these bunkers. And these are the bunkers, these structures. Here's a, a close-up of one. What's above this mark? Go up. And go up. Scroll up there. That is a bunker, and it is covered with soil. It will withstand a 500,000 ton explosion directly on its outside. It is concrete, 18 inch thick, on the bottom, 12 inches thick on the sides. It's got blast doors that are open in this picture. Each of these is about 26 and a half feet wide, which is this direction, and 80 feet long. It has filtered air that will keep out any kind of radiation or other gases that would be harmful. And again, there are 575 of them on this property. And this company, Ex Vivos, has been selling these for the last seven years, almost eight years. And 
um, those set, seven years, and there's 575 of them, and I now own one, and um, I was there over the weekend, um, and if you this picture that's below here, this is the Black Hills of South Dakota. This is timber right here. This is about seven or eight miles away. This is the, this location is out on the prairie of, of South Dakota, just a little bit away, a ways away from timbered area, the Black Hills. Um, it's kind of strategically located. Mark, scroll down further on the page. By the way, here's the picture stop right here. Here's, here's the inside of one that has been remodeled um, to where there's uh, a kitchen area, a living area. There's bedrooms back behind here. Uh, if you play this video, which we're not gonna play right now, you can see in them. This is 13 and a half feet high. Um, and so 2,200 square feet approximately inside. Which is, keep scrolling down. All right, here, this is where it's located. And it was strategically located there back in the, the World War II days because leaders in the United States at that time felt like it was the safest place to withstand what, what they hoped would not occur, which it didn't, to be the Japanese or the Germans having nuclear weapons themselves like we did and how we ended World War II with the Japanese and bombing um, our, our location. 300 miles, there is nothing close enough to it that would cause a real problem. It's central and then look at a thousand miles away, is, I don't know, here's 900, here's 1200. 1,500 miles away, and you essentially encompass all of the United States, except for a little bit of Texas and just the very upper northeast of the United States. So it's a relatively close drive even to get there. The nearest problematic locations from a, from a perspective of someone attacking are an Air Force base that's North of it, about 150 miles, where it probably would be a targeted location, but it's far enough away and it's upwind in most situations to where any kind of radiation even wouldn't get here. However, if if you were able to get into one of these um, bunkers, which by the way, we're going to be changing the names of these Earthship homes because that's really what they are, Earthship locations. You would not, um, you wouldn't have any problems with any kind of radiation exposure. Anyway, keep scrolling down, Mark. So this shows you um, the location. It's right here. These are places that would be potential submersion zones. Submersion doesn't mean submersion with water. It means submersion um, from radiation. And here's where they would be. And the worst of them are these nuclear target areas. Here you see one just north of Denver. This is that Air Force base I was talking about that's 150 miles away. Then all of these areas all over, these highly populated areas would be uh, nuclear target zones. High crime anarchy zones are all, if you notice, there are the yellow areas near big cities. The biggest city that's closest to uh, this location is Denver, which is where I live now. Notice that I don't have anything of high population. Um, Yellowstone blast zone would be, people. some people believe pretty strongly that the Yellowstone area would be taken out. Uh, because it's so important to where the, most of the major rivers in the United States start um, and it has 
huge mineral reserves and such around. So it's called the Yellowstone Blast Zone. Um, um, again, it hasn't been retired since 67. It's been retired since 72, but it's not a, it's not a potential target. So keep scrolling down. So here is actually property. Uh, most of it, more than half, all of this here is completely uninhabited, rural, untouched for the most part. Native grasses and very little evidence of any kind of previous human activity on all of this part of the property. Um, the area that, excuse me, that I recently purchased a birthship home in, 2,200 square foot, is B. I'm about right here. Um, and notice that B is actually somewhat separated by this drainage basin of a stream going through here and another one going through here actually flowing kind of right down through here but the B is completely isolated from the other areas by this, this drainage and and then you go to the and, and this is oriented north this is north in this direction um, west this way east this way um, so south here it's a relatively protective I want to have at least 50 of these B earthship homes occupied by people who will be like-minded ecologically and environmentally that will be in our community. So that's going to be a goal, something that we're going to try to work towards. Um, go ahead and keep scrolling, Mark. Here's a little bit of a larger picture uh, in a little different orientation. So if you remember, this is not, this isn't all the property really. Uh, this, is, this is now facing north is this way. And there's the B area that's expanded. They were just trying to expand up areas where these locations are. So keep on scrolling. This unoccupied area all over up here, like I said, is completely native. Now here's a little expanded picture. Um, this looks a lot like what ours, that's a glass door. Um, it can be completely sealed and have really no potential air penetration. Um, there's a, a, a chimney on the very uh, opposite end here, which is where your air coming in would be from, and then you could exhaust it uh, out, something that you put into the front. That's what's been done here. So you, yeah, you would be able to have airflow. Um, this is a pad that you could use as a driveway. Um, we're gonna actually build a garage on the front of ours to where it'll be peaked right here in the middle, go down like this, on both, they would go down at an angle. I keep forgetting I don't have the cursor. Um, and, and going to the left of the B here and to the right of the seven, and then down, and it would close this most of this pad, and it'll be a two car garage where cars and vehicles can go on the front side. Um, we're going to put a shipping container over on this side that uses a, a outdoor kind of. Uh, shop and yeah, for a variety of other uses and then we're going to be doing farming all over we're going to bring at least a thousand free-range alpacas on site we're going to probably have as many as ten thousand chickens there are um, what are called uh, pill boxes located throughout and in this picture they're smaller so there's one i think right there right between these rows and this upper picture, right where it starts, they, they kind of go in a different direction. Um, they're buildings that are completely concrete. They were intended that if this place back during World War II, 
got strafed by fighters or by Japanese or German bombers, that that's where they'd have people um, that were had weapons and would be able to uh, protect the area. They're about 25 feet long, 12 feet wide, with doors on each end, and all concrete, six inch thick concrete, and they make amazing uh, chicken tractor type of structures. Now you say, well, how can you move them? Well, you don't move them. You'd move the chickens. So chickens would hang out at one of them until they had grazed out an area around it uh, for probably two weeks. Then you'd move them to the next one. And there are hundreds of them, throughout, probably at least 100 throughout the entirety of the 11,000 acres. So I'll keep scrolling down, Mark. Here's what it kind of looks like around it. There's a soil overburden all around the facility. Uh, and a minimum of two feet on the top, and you can see how thick it is out to the sides. So it's again protecting it for uh, from direct blast from temperature. So the, the, the dead of winter, every one of these bunkers, if that front door that you're seeing on the picture above it was closed, won't get any colder than 45 degrees, and um, and it'll be below zero sometimes in the winter here. In the summer, it won't get over 70 degrees, and it'll get over 100 degrees in the summer. Okay. This soil, it's all around this, and the concrete is just excellent insulation. So again, you can go to this site whenever you'd like, terravivos.com, and look at these. Um, be real honest, we're partners in this now, so we eat makes a, um, a commission for any one of these that are sold. So if you were to like these things and think you might want to have one, uh, make sure you talk with us about it. One, we'd like you to live in our community in the B area. And second, we'd like to uh, make a little additional commission profit and could do it also if you helped us sell some. So, Bit of a revenue generator. So I'll keep scrolling, Mark. So this just shows, it's going to show you how you can customize them. This is very similar to the one that you saw that living area. The kitchen was over here on the right hand side. On the left is the living area. And then there's, I think this one's got five, six bedrooms, really, and closets. I think that's a bathroom back in the back then some additional storage on the back end. So that's one configuration. Here shows some others. This one, again, is, is somewhat similar to what you just saw, but then there's another plan. A few different bedroom configuration, different living area configuration. So all just little different options. They'll build them out for you if you like, or you can build them out. We're going to be building ours out ourselves. We're not going to use that price is good right now, but it's not going to stay there. It actually went up from thirty-five thousand about a year ago, and it's very likely going to go to fifty-five thousand in the next six months. We're going to get that kind of a price moving forward for longer than that, that's dedicated for our, for our use. Keep scrolling. <clears throat> Just a little better picture of the front. And almost the bottom. Going. Stop here. Here's that chimney that I was talking about. You can see it on this bunker over here, where again the air comes in. That that's the that's where it actually goes out. Mark chimneys on the back. You see the guy standing on top there. There it is. So that's where air would come in, and then it gets vented and goes out there at the front. It's kind of, kind of like a snorkel. 
front end. Um, well, then we have the left side of this, where it's covered with vegetation there, is where we're going to put a, a farm, a, a, I'll call it a market-sized garden farm, so that we can grow literally all, almost all of our own food. That's, in our case, on ours, it's, that's facing south. This other side is facing north. This picture is obviously taken in the winter because right now this is just lush green vegetation. I just took all my pictures yesterday, so I really can't show much of it to you today. I'm going to do just a couple where I put my camera right on my phone after this in a second. I think you're almost to the bottom where it keeps scrolling a little bit. Yeah, they, they actually are hiring people to do, to do different things. They have needs out there. And it's very picky. It's just not everybody gets in. You actually have to apply to become a member. So anyway, that's a big change that's going to happen in our lives. We're moving from our site here in Colorado to this site. Um, now, change the subject just a tiny bit. I'm going to show this. I was at a, an office a little earlier today. I saw this book, The Field Guide to Dumb Birds of America, across North America. It's, it's a, a joke on the name because it actually is a field guide to birds. And it'll show the real bird, but then the author made these little, makes these little interesting comments about the real bird and kind of ways it'll look, but it's a way to teach people how to actually really identify birds. I'm gonna bring the camera back in just a second, Mark. This is actually a cool one. Another book, The Experts Speak, um, The Definitive Pendian of Authoritarian Misinformation, Authoritative Misinformation. I haven't got this yet, I wanna get it. But actually, we're going to be able to show you some pictures pretty well here. There's actually a video of, that I took yesterday oops, of one of these that is, was, been, was converted in the past. You can see I'm going to open the door here. Now I'm excited to something that I think was being used to make silage, which is livestock feed. That's some of the electrical equipment for it. It's a very big structure. It's off to the left there. It's taking up a whole middle of this Earthship home bunker. So I'm going to be putting um, mushroom production facilities in some of these, aquaponic systems in some, a store in one a shooting range indoor, there's plenty of places to be shooting outside, a gym, a medical clinic, a food production for tropical plants, um, which will probably be a fairly traditional in soils. So a whole wide variety of resources for people who are members of this community. Uh, here is a different one that cattle have been in, and it's got um, holes up on the roof that that they took the soil off of, and they were using it for uh, hogs. And this has been years ago. Uh, here's grab uh, a different. This is their entry area. There was a party that they held, held on July 4th. We get a focus here in a second. That those tables are set up for. There were a couple hundred people there. That's a shipping container with some some awnings over it that you're not seeing at a distance. This is the one of them that's used for um, their trash 
it's actually an interesting trash situation because literally once every period of time, they um, close the blast door, they light on fire, everything that's in it, and they create charcoal. And charcoal is an excellent soil. I see a couple other questions that I'll get to here. I think we're about out of time. Here's what it looks like, that trash area now, prior to uh, to a burn that's gonna occur. So I think I'll get to the questions here. We're gonna come back to this different time. Here's here's one last picture. Here's what the front can look like if, uh, man, it's just not showing. Oh, the closer I get, the better it is. Here's how somebody made the front look, which is actually pretty cool. Oh, I took this as a video, so that's moving. So you make these things look pretty neat. There's a propane tank. Okay, I'm gonna walk all the way around this. That's the north side. Some benches. Pro a grill, gas grill. There's the solar systems for it. This is about all you need in terms of total number of solar panels, photovoltaic panels, excuse me. So that's a four by four, two by four. So this is a low end cost. Anyway, enough of that one. All right, we're gonna stop here. And um, we are at the end. Let me see if I get to a couple of questions here. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, one of our audience says, not sure I like living in a structure with no windows and claustrophobia. That's a great point. So guess how you can handle that? And go to an Ikea sometime that you've got around you, and they're all over the United States, and see their displays that they have for um, for different kinds of rooms. So for a living room, for a kitchen, for a bathroom, for a bedroom. And they will put fake windows into those displays. And all they are is big screen TVs. So behind my head here, yes, that way, there is a big screen TV. That was not that large, but picture one, well, actually, I'll just turn my camera around here real quick. Picture one that big, there's one that's a 45 inch screen um, that would be about the size of a window. And if you put a camera right on the other side of it, one of my dogs just came in the office, by the way. Who is in here? Hello, which one of you's here? It was a dog right there. <laughs> um, if, uh, if you put a, uh, and put some window panes, fake panes, you just put some black something across, and put a camera right outside, you'll see just exactly what you'd be seeing outside through a window. What a cool idea, huh? But here's what's even more cool. At night, you just flip a switch, boom, they go off and it's black and dark. So if you're somebody who likes to sleep in the absolute dark, which some people are, uh, then you can have it be completely dark. Or you wanna put the moonlight and have that be in your room and you could maybe have that camera switch to where it's going now up and seeing by the way this the skies in this part of the world are unbelievable with the milky way and uh even northern lights we had a full moon while we were there so you weren't seeing as much of that because the moon is so bright really it's almost like the sun but great question you can take care of, of uh, claustrophobia by putting in Relatively, and I've had several building people say, it's probably cheaper to do a big screen TV in today's world than a window would be, including the camera that would be on the outside. 
taking the news. So that's all I find for questions. Mark, is there any questions that I missed there? I don't see any other questions. Um, so is this is this uh, totally off grid, or is it connected to utilities like uh, water, gas? Yeah, great question. It is. Um, they they've got two wells that they've drilled, so every one of these units has water. So the water is there, and but the water's on site. So if there was an off-site problem, you wouldn't lose water. You put your own septic system in, so that's where your waste would go. Um, it is off-grid in terms of power, but you could bring like that last picture I showed a propane tank. Propane is very inexpensive in that part of the world, so I think we're actually going to do a lot of like our cooking with propane and our uh, and our um, maybe even heating, which you don't need very much of. But electrical is going to be provided from solar. So yes, they're off-grid from that perspective. Now, there is actually okay. power coming in, but the decision is made to keep it off-grid at this point. Awesome. Yeah, I think we are good with questions now. Okay. Well, I'm glad you had at least one, Mark. And, and over time, you'll learn more about this because we're going to start doing webinars from there as we right. start moving. I'm going to spend probably three or four days every two weeks up there as we're getting it ready for us to move into because we're going to move in, not necessarily into our completely remodeled Earthship home, or Earthship home um, but we're going to have one of our buildings that we have here already, one that we call our fiber building that we're going to remodel, and it's going to go up there, and, uh, and then we're, we've got two bedrooms in it, and we're going to have a kitchen and living space in that. And we'll live in there while we're getting the Earthship home ready for us to be living. So, Sounds exciting. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it. What I didn't show, and I'll show on others, is there's all kinds of wild animals there, the natural vegetation. I mean, it's a beautiful area. It's not highly timbered. Again, it's the prairie. Lots of, of, of elevation change. Um, but the forest is, like I said, seven miles away. And so you can be in a forested area very quickly. So. The night sky must be amazing. Right? You can see a, a lot more stars. The skies are amazing, yeah, they are. All right, well, hey, everybody, this has been fun. I don't know why we couldn't figure out our problems last week, but we got it done this week. Who's, what's our next webinar, Mark? It is, okay, it's going to be William tomorrow. And then Monday is our special guest, Lorena. Good, that's awesome. Remember, I'll be in Idaho Monday, so, no, you know what? I won't either, I'll be going later in the day. Um, here she is, and, and uh, we talked about her last week. She's from um, Indian, so uh, we'll, we'll meet with her. I actually don't travel till Monday night, so I'll be good for it. All right, signing off. We'll see everybody. Take us out, Mark. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.